beginning a new series over what we just sort of uh, commonly call the four G's, and you're going to see what that's about. So we're not talking about Dr. Dre, uh, Eze, when we talk about the G's here, if that's what comes to some of your minds. All right, so we're going to talk about how God is great, so we don't have to be in control. How God is glorious, so we don't need others' approval. How God is good, so we don't have to look other places for satisfaction or comfort. And how God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves or perform to have value or worth. So obviously, each of these topics could merit a week-long times together. We're going to look at these each at a time. But I need to say something by way of introduction, is that as we talk about these four Gs, we're going to compare them or contrast them with some idols. Okay, so none of us probably have wooden or metal structures in our house that we bow down to and worship. But all of us in here are idolaters at times. As one uh, old Bible teacher said, our hearts are idol factories. That is, we can make anything into an object of our worship. And we tend to make at the root of much of our lives and our, our behavior that is destructive to ourselves and to others, we tend to make control, approval, comfort, or pleasure, or performance what we really feel like we're going to give, get our worth from and give our worth to. And that's what worship is. What do you say, this is worthy? And what do you say, this gives me worth? And so we're going to look today at how control can do that. And so from Psalm 139, let us read the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be not, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I'll wake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me 
and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we thank you for your word. We hear so many voices competing not only for your place, but competing against your voice. And we pray today that, Holy Spirit, you would take the truth and you would penetrate our hearts. You would take whatever I say that I don't nuance the right way or I don't make clear or that is just false, and you would let it fall to the ground. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the good news that we have today. In this reality, God, that you are great, so we don't have to be in control. And we ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have uh, children, you've probably been through this experience that I'm going to describe, or you will. Or if you haven't had children, you obviously were a child once, so you probably did this at one point. You have thought that you could be a better parent than your parent. And so, so often, we'll find ourselves in situations like this to where your kids are just upset at you. They're angry, and whether some of them express that vocally or others express that passively, you get the drift. And sometimes it becomes very clear that they believe that if they can make a better decision than you, they can make a better plan than you, and they could have a lot better way of explaining what they were supposed to do than you give them. And in such situations, you just want to kind of reach out and touch someone, don't you? In such situations, you want to yell. You want to scream. You want to tell them, do you not know who I am? Do you not know all that I've done for you? Do you not realize that maybe I have a reason for why we're doing this? that I can't fully explain to you right now because you wouldn't even understand it if I tried to explain it to you. And so in such situations, you want to, you want to discipline and not just discipline. You want, to, you want to get your point across. And you do. But then the Holy Spirit comes in His gentle and yet sometimes totally disruptive way and says, that is exactly how you are. I mean, that's how I am to God sometimes. God, if you would have just told me what to do more clearly, I would have done it. God, I could have came up with a better plan for my life than you have. And some of us don't want to admit it. Some of us would never say that out loud. But there may be some of you in here this morning who are living, living with this sort of suppressed, low-level, or maybe high-level, even anger at God. Because you resent His control. Of you, This may be you. I'm irritated, or I'm unhappy, or I'm unsatisfied, or I feel worthless unless I have control over this specific area of my life, or I feel complete security and safety, or if others get along with my agenda, which if you struggle with this, this is how you think, which is just the right way to do things. So this isn't about me, right? This is just about everybody realizing this is how it's supposed to be. And God has gifted me to you to show you how it's supposed to be. We've often teased how many of us present our false gospel, right? Here's the way the world's supposed to be, creation. Here's the fall. Here's how you do it wrong. I'm here to save you. 
and show you the right way to do things, and if you do what I want and do it my way, then there will be a new creation. There will be restoration in the world. And the older I get, the more things seem the less in control. I thought, well, you get, you get right here at 40, and you're just going to be hitting your stride. Right? You're going to have everything in place. And now you're just going to be in a situation where you teach other people how to hit their stride. If that's happened to you, praise God, but that's not how I feel my life is at all. You spend endless days caught up in the current of the what-ifs. What if my kids grow up and they don't love me because of what I did or didn't do? What if they don't follow Jesus? What if we don't have enough money to pay our bills next month? What if we have to sell our house? What if we should sell our house? What if this goes wrong in the church? What if this doesn't happen like I thought it would? What if, what if, what if, what if? And we become so burdened, so overwhelmed, so anxious, sometimes paralyzed, sometimes disengaged, sometimes full of fear and worry. It's not because we're doing too much. It's because of why we're doing it. How we're doing it. We worship control. We demand it. While we can feel stuck, the good news is this morning is that God knows all of this. He is sovereign in His reign, in His redemption. He knows our doubts of Him. He knows our fears. He knows our worries. He knows our idolatrous worship of control. And yet, He's coming near you today. He's not standing back saying, get it together. He's not standing back. Some of you may be hearing Him saying, it's the voice of the enemy, not the voice of God. I'll come to you once you get it under control. No, it's the opposite. He's saying, I'm coming to you in the mess because you can't control it. Because I alone am God, and that's a good thing. He's coming to set us free with this good news that we can trust that because God is great, we don't have to be in control. I'm just going to memorize that. This is not a cheap Christian cliché. This is not telling us if we just believe that harder, everything will be okay. If we just believe better. No, this is, this is gospel truth for the stuff of everyday life. So how does it go deeper? How do we see this from God's Word and not just as if this is like some positive thinking pep talk? We have to trust that God is in control because of who God is. Now what are some of the lies that we believe about control. So you and me were talking the other day, and she didn't know this, but I was listening and learning. If only I had more knowledge, then I'd be in control, right? If I had all the variables, if I knew everything that was happening, you know, then, I would, then I'd be safe, I'd be secure, I could make the right decisions. I wouldn't have to be so anxious and be so paralyzed, right? If I just went out to the mailbox every morning, opened it, and God laid out this like descriptive daily agenda down to what I needed to know and what I needed to do, then I could just rest. Yeah, forget the part that then we wouldn't have a relationship with him. <laughs> we, would, we would have our control. If only I could be more places at once. Some of us are so impatient. We hate time. We hate sleep. Because we, we need to be more places and do more things. If only I could be in charge. 
That's why some of you are overbearing, refuse to accept things, and are inflexible. It's because you think, if I was in control, everything would be right. The question for you to answer in your head right now is, how's that working for you? How's it working for you to, to live with this lust for control by playing God? And this is where we come to Psalm 139. And we could have went so many places in God's Word to see this. But in Psalm 139, we see here a truth that sets us free that God is great. This is not just cheap talk or cheap phrase. If God is not great, if He is not in control... If this doesn't really matter, if that sounds like empty talk to you, then I think we just all need to go home. (laughs) Because this is our hope. This is our God. And we see here in these first verses, Chris, if you could click it back there, to verses 1 through 6, that God knows everything. So the $5 word for that is God is omniscient. You don't have to remember that word, but just know this, God knows it all. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about your heart. He knows your path. He knows your words. He knows your your way. His knowledge is too wonderful for you. It is high. You cannot attain it. This is our God. Nothing is going to catch Him off guard. There is no variable in your life right now coming down the pipe that He doesn't know about. So we don't know it all. And if we look to ourselves to know it all, to frantically just be out here trying to gather information, driving ourselves crazy and everyone around us, then we're missing out on the freedom found in such a reality that God knows everything. In verses 7 through 12, we see God is everywhere. Again, the big word is omnipresent, He's all places. At all times. You can't get away from Him. Where can you go from His Spirit? Where can you flee from His presence? You go to heaven, there He is. You go to Sheol, the place of the dead, there He is. You go to the uttermost parts of the sea, there He is. You go into the darkest places of your life, your story, this world, and there He is as the light. There's no place in your life, there's no place in your home, your kitchen, your bedroom, there's no place at your workplace that God is not there. Verses 13 through 16, we see God knows all things, is all places, but He is always under control. He is sovereign. $5 word, he's omnipotent. He's all powerful. How powerful is he? The miracle of birth, right? Still blows my mind how a baby grows in a belly. That's all him. Down to to the minutest detail. He knits together people in their mother's wombs. He puts frames together. He does this in all of creation, as you could read in God's Word as well. Down to the sparrow, down to the flower somewhere blooming on a hill that no human being will ever see. God is in control. 
Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says this. I am God and there is no other. There is none like me declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So in general, he is in control. But also, in specific, he is in control. Proverbs 16.33, The lot is cast into the lap, or the dice is thrown. But every decision is from the Lord. Ephesians 1.11, He works all things according to the counsel of His will. His control is, is general, specific, and comprehensive. And we could read hundreds of more verses. And whatever millions of questions that raises in your mind that the enemy just wants to take and cause confusion, I urge you just to humbly submit to the Spirit wanting to give you this truth to comfort you. God is in control. He is great. He is sovereign. That is not a matter of theological debate. That is a matter of getting through Wednesday afternoon when it's all hitting the fan, when you're getting that phone call, when things are falling apart. And when you have no control. Verses 17 and 18. This is is good. This is really good. This isn't just an idea. This is God for you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. That feels a little flowery, doesn't it? Oh, that God would give us men and women and boys and girls who can believe in these great doctrines of God's sovereignty and yet have this type of beautiful, intimate experience with God. That knowing God is in control doesn't lead us again into just some meaningless and and, and endless debate, but it leads us to this. God, You know me and You love me you start to say words that make some of us men feel uncomfortable, like precious. And to talk in this flowery, poetic language, like if I were to count them, they would be more than the sand. God is not just over you. He is with you. He is for you. The verses everyone wants to skip in this chapter, 19 through 22, right? Everybody gets nervous. Asking God to slay people and talking about hate. We're not going to take this time to talk about how do you interpret imprecatory psalms. Uh, We can do that if you want to another time. But the main thing here is what the psalmist is doing is he's calling out for God to be in control of all of these people in his life that are totally out of control and all of this evil in his life that looks like is totally out of control. And he's saying, God, would you bring justice? And the good news is, God is a God of justice. For so many of you in here, the reason you take control of situations in your life is because you believe you cannot trust God to bring justice, and you've got to drop the hammer on everybody. You've got to do it. So actually, we could, we could read this, I think, in, and this would help us love our enemies, Because you can love your enemies when you trust that God's going to take care of them one way or the other, either through the cross of Christ or through His divine appointment. 
so it leads us to the last piece here, verses 23 and 24. God doesn't just know all things, is not all places, is in control of all things, is personal for all of you, and is just in all things, but He's gracious. So you can pray prayers like this. This is kind of scary to pray, isn't it? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Test me. Know my thoughts and reveal or see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me the way everlasting. Some of you in here who struggle with this idol of control think that because of, of the disorder in the world and the disorder then that you see in your own heart, you are somehow uniquely broken. You are somehow uniquely handicapped because you just see all the disorder in the world and it's just too much. And really that's flowing because when you look into your own heart, you're overwhelmed with all that's out of place in it. And God is giving you this invitation that you can trust Him to search you. Because the God who searches you is the God who is sovereign to save you. Know that I would believe this more. As we come uh, to this season of the year, uh, last year we had not yet begun to gather as a whole church. And there were many decisions being made about where we would meet, how that would happen. We were on the cusp of multiplying to two missional communities. There were lots of variables at play in that. To do that, we thought, in a healthy way. And they were just, most of them, totally out of our control. The gathering space that we wanted to meet in on Sunday mornings, all of a sudden we found out another church was meeting there. And so we just couldn't do it. We had the, the multiplication of a missional community. Gina and Kristen were going through a, a very difficult season. Kristen had been born and spent three months in the ICU. We had another situation within the life of the church that was just difficult to deal with. And during this time, our family was going to go get away for spring break. And uh, Cassie could testify to this. The kids couldn't, because you know you try to put on a good face. It's like, I just, I just was not present the whole time. I mean, my body was there, but I wasn't there. Couldn't sleep at night. Couldn't hardly think. It was, it was an, an extreme amount of stress, of feeling burdened, because all of this was out of my control. Had sought counsel, maybe too much. Had pursued wisdom and community and sought to be as gracious and loving and patient and, and yet I was gripped by exhaustion, fatigue, overwhelmed, anxiety because I wanted to know. And what might have looked like in some ways humility was pride. was playing God, was putting more trust in my own plans than in God's great control. Maybe you've been there too. Maybe your demand of certainty is the root of your anxiety and your indecision in life. There's good news. God is great. So you don't have 
Maybe your desire to do it all. Some of you that wrestle with this, you want to do it all. And you want to do it all awesomely. And you're exhausted. But God is great, so you don't have to be in control. You can't do it all. And you can't do it all well. But God is God. Maybe your dominating desire for control is making you feel lonely. That's why you're lonely. It's not because other people don't care about you. It's not because other people aren't there. It's because everything and everybody's just not getting along with your agenda. So you're just going to isolate yourself. And just tell yourself, nobody understands me. Or nobody cares about things like I do. If, if everybody else cared about it like I do, like they should, then people would be supporting me and congratulating me, not acting like I'm some sort of pain. But your demand for these sort of standards out of others are leaving others feeling judged, condemned, pushed, gilded, manipulated, not trusted, and just a pawn in your program. Maybe the worship for your control is the root of your guilt. You're not just saying what's wrong with the world. You're ultimately and most definitely saying, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? It's not always a bad question to ask. The way you can tell whether it's the enemy, the world, the flesh, or the devil is the spirit is where that question leads you. The spirit of Jesus will never lead you into condemnation. The spirit of Jesus leads you to the cross. The spirit of Jesus leads you to the good news that God is great so you don't have to be in control. The Spirit of Jesus leads you not only to who God is, but to what God has done. And some of your stories are full of suffering, are full of brokenness, are full of your own sin, and other sins against you. And this is a very difficult issue. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil has whispered into your ear so many times and continues to whisper it, where's your God now? Where was your God then? So where will God be when this happens. I've trusted him with knowledge before. And where was he? He wasn't there when this happened. If I would have taken more control, I could have protected myself or these people in my life. I suffered. I suffered. How dare you stand up there and tell me God is in control. So I, God is great so I don't have to be in control with what I've went through in my life or what I'm going through in my life. It's hard to believe. We're a church that not only wants to receive this good news, we want to go out into the world and give this good news. And we want to take it to the broken and to the burnout, to the bored and to the bitter. And they're going to call bull on us. So we've got to have 
The good news of God's Word. Who wrote this psalm? Do you have a Bible? Who can tell me? It's an easy guess if you don't. Emma says David. Three points for Emma. David. Let's think about why David would want to talk about a God who hymns him in. A God who knows about Sheol, the place of the dead. A God who can talk about His presence in the darkness. A God who can be there for us when our enemies are attacking us, not just to taunt us with words, but to kill us and our families and those that we love. Let's talk about the David who was pursued most of his life by people who were his enemies, like King Saul. But not only King Saul, but to have his own son Absalom run him out of town, humiliate him in front of everyone, and then chase him for his death. Let's talk about David who fell into such grievous sins as adultery and plots to murder. Let's think about the David who writes this psalm as the one whose baby died. And he was so broken over the death of this little baby. He couldn't eat. The Bible is not written for people who have taken some pill to live in a fairy tale world. It's written into the gritty stuff of everyday life. Our God, who is in control, is the God who created this world good, who designed it to be a place of joy, perfect relationship with Him, with one another, and with all of creation. Yet humanity rebelled against God and on the backs of that rebellion entered disorder, death, decay. And you know what was at the heart of that sin of rebellion? It was grasping for control. It was wanting to know it all like God knows it all. It was wanting to rule it, not under God, but as God. And yet, even in that moment of rebellion, God was not thrown off His throne. And although He is not the author of evil, He is also not merely a victim of evil. He reigns over the good and the bad. He is the God of Job, who lost it all. And yet, was worthy of worship. He is the God of Joseph, who said these words as his brothers met him years later after they had sown him into slavery. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. He is the God of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And ultimately, he's the God of Jesus. If you ever think that God doesn't know what suffering is like, if you ever think he doesn't know what it's like to see someone that he loves be brutally beaten, stripped naked, humiliated, shamed, and ultimately executed, then we must look to the cross. If there was ever a time in the history of the world where it looked like God was out of control, that was it. I mean, here's my Jesus, supposed to be bringing in the kingdom of God, supposed to be ushering in what the world had waited for, and there He hangs naked on a cross, 
mocked, spit upon, ridiculed, flayed open, gasping for air, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That doesn't look like God's in control. That looks like God's a joke. And he's either doesn't care or he's nowhere to be found. But in that darkest hour, God was not off the throne. He was not condoning evil. He was not consenting to evil. He was not ignoring evil. But in His mysterious, beyond our comprehension, He was conquering it. So Acts 2.23 says, Jesus was delivered up. And we have these to put on the screen if you want to go there, Chris. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Humanity is responsible, yet God is sovereign. Acts 4.27 and 28, Truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, responsible, guilty sinners, not robots, but responsible human agents. Yet, verse 28, to do whatever your, that is God, God's hand, and your plan, that is God's plan, had predestined to take place. God was in control. When it seemed all was lost, God was in control. In your life, when it seems all is lost, God is in control. Because we know Jesus' story didn't end on the cross, but when it seemed all was lost, Jesus rose from the dead. Sunday morning came. And He is now exalted on the right hand of the Father. And it looks like some days he doesn't care. It looks like some days he's out to lunch. It looks like some days he's asleep. But he is reigning. He is working. And one day he will return and every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will be removed and death will be no more. So what if we really believe this? we really believe this, our lives could be different. The problem is, some of you in here with a control idol, you think, okay, here we go. I'm going to believe this just right. And I'm going to have this nailed by this afternoon or by the end of this week. The enemy's tricky. He's going to take you, take this and warp it and use it against you. And what God wants you to hear is, no, 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 I'm God. You're not God. I told you, I'm changing you. Philippians 1.6, I've begun a good work in you, I'm going to complete it. But you want to control it and you want to arrive, but let me tell you, this is hard for you to hear when we struggle with this idol, that is not going to happen in this life. You are not going to arrive. You are not going to be the master of your own destiny. You are not going to get that control that you crave. 
It doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It doesn't matter how much uh, uh, success that you have. It's not happening. And God, in His generous grace, will, will, He will wreck your plans to show you that because He loves you. And you can't be God. You can't satisfy your soul. Only He can. He will not share His glory with you. But He will grow you. He will never quit on you. He'll never stop loving you. You might not have the perfect house, the perfect kids, the perfect self, the perfect job, the perfect plans, but you will have a perfect Savior. This is the only way we persevere. The only way we keep going in this out-of-control world. It's the only way we persevere on mission. I'm going to share this brief story with you again in my own life. We spent quite a deal of time pouring in to, to someone in our, in our church this past year. And some of you would know who this is. And, man, we, we just felt like we did everything we're supposed to. Just, you know, you're just loving, you're just sharing, you're just caring. And then it just doesn't, it just seems like it all turns to nothing. To nothing. And your heart starts to think, God, I'm doing my part. Why don't you do your part? Don't you want to save people? Don't you want to change people? Come on, take up the slack, God. I don't, I don't say that lightly. That's blasphemy, right? But this is what happens in our hearts. And then randomly, this guy pulls up at our house and he says, hey, have you talked to so-and-so talking about this person? And I said, yeah, actually, I just talked to him a little bit. And they're like, I was wondering how they were doing. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah. Every now and then this person stops over here by my house and... And we talk. And I encourage him. And I speak truth into his life. And I call him to follow Jesus. And I'm just like wanting to follow my face out there in the road because all this time I thought God wasn't doing anything. But he's got people out there working. And it's not got to be all about us. We don't got to know everything. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is at work. And sometimes, like Job, we just need to put our hands over our mouths and worship Him. This mission He's called us on is hard. We can't save anyone. We can't change anyone. That he can. That's why we go. We can't even get our fight club scheduled right. We can't get all our MCs together in the same place. We don't need to get angry. And we don't need to quit. We just need to keep trusting him. Just imagine if we believe this together. That God is great. So we don't have to be. Father, we thank you for the good news that is your gospel. Specifically today, we thank you that because you are great, we don't have to be in control. 
Holy Spirit, weave this reality into the nuances, depths, and specifics of our story in healthy, holistic, helpful ways. For your glory, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will we respond?